Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? Ready. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag college football. Um, but I think the bottom line is, what do the majority of your teams th- uh, think? Majority of our schools. So in our conference, we have multiple uh, states that are more open than, say, California. And we didn't want to, as a conference, constrict them from being able to begin earlier than maybe others. So although there may be some that aren't ready June 15th, um, there may be quite a few that are to start their process. That's David Shaw, the Stanford coach. And PK, he made some more comments there. And just reading between the lines, it sounds like the the, the Pac-12 coaches in general and the California coaches in particular weren't thrilled with the way the rest of college football was talking about them. In what way? Uh, We're not going to be ready to play, leaving us behind. It just seemed like – and the story I read on this – had uh, like three events that were either misrepresented or misunderstood, but all things that could be used for negative recruiting on California kids. In the case of Stanford, you know, they're recruiting all over the country, so they might be recruiting against the SEC in Texas. Um, but the, the thought that Alabama was getting a backup plan in case they didn't play USC, which honestly, I think Alabama probably did. And they probably should have. They've since denied it. Um, but, hey, if, if travel is going to be a problem and if USC isn't coming and Alabama wants to go to Dallas, well, play TCU, right? They wouldn't have to travel. That actually made sense to me. That sounded like a smart plan B. But it just it sounded like the picture was being painted. And part of it was because Feinbaum said something. And I think the rest of the country views him as an SEC honk. And in the SEC, they view him as a, a genius and a legend. So I guess it just depends on where you live. Um, but the Pac-12 is ready to play, and Shaw was able to get out and say that. Or at least okay. he believes it. And the stories you read then. So what you're saying is you read fake news. <laughs> well, I think what I read was that there had been fake news for months all at the Pac-12's expense. At least that's the way Shaw seemed to be presenting it now. Yeah, it doesn't matter... Uh... You know, what your persuasion is, when people start getting into your wallet and, and maybe harming your program, you're going to come to its defense. And that's what I took Shaw as saying. Yeah. Former USC quarterback JT Daniels will transfer to the University of Georgia. Georgia is not short on quarterbacks, but now they got one more. Not clear if he can play this season or if he's going to have to sit out a year. I expect he's going to have to sit out a year, but I guess we don't know that for sure. Yeah, in my mind, he already sat out a year, so I would like to see him get that waiver. I don't know that he will, but, you know, he got hurt very early in the first game, as we know, and then didn't play the entire year, so basically he would have to sit out two years. And uh, he could still work out, obviously, and so it's not like being a missionary kid where you're running around in a shirt and tie most of the time. So when it does come to pass that he can get back out on the field, he'll be a lot more sharp or sharper because he'll have these opportunities to work out. But I would like to see him be eligible immediately if that's what he wants. Former Wake Forest starter Jamie Newman expected to be the starter for UGA as a grad transfer who joined the Bulldogs earlier this offseason. 
So I guess what we'd have to know from JT that probably aren't going to know is, do you think you'd beat him out even coming to the program at this late date? Uh, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, he's uh, Newman is getting in, in the program. At a, they're getting the Fairly program at the same time. Yeah. I don't know that he was there in the whatever, if they had any version of a spring ball anyway. Uh, but I don't know if that's what Daniels wants because he might want to have, we saw Eason do this exact same thing, leave, wa- leave Georgia, go to Washington, sit out, and then only play one season. And played a little bit as a freshman, sat out, blah, 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 then gets us up at the third year, you're eligible for the draft. So JT, I don't know if that's what he's looking for, if he would just as soon get this year, because if he has a big year next season, irregardless, he's going to plan to go to the NFL. How many quarterbacks can USC lose before it impacts USC? I guess you'd have to know how healthy they're going to stay before you can really answer that. But we know Sears left the program to go to Boise State, and we know Daniels is going to Georgia. But they were pretty well, deep at quarterback, yeah. too. So. Well, I think this is just a sign of the times. It's not who you don't have. It's who you have. Ben Olsen left, and Max Hall was just fine. In fact, Max Hall won more games than anybody in the history of the program as a starting quarterback. So... They're, they're going to have quarterbacks because every year, it's, it's what I said a few weeks back, these programs that were dominant at other positions but seemed to lack NFL talent at quarterback, they're now getting NFL talent. And so it's becoming one after another. So SC is in fine position because they're just going to keep rolling as far as getting the best of the best. And now we're seeing these top flight programs, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, that normally didn't put a whole lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. Now they're lining up. So for USC now, slowest quarterback, Fink's the backup. And we're done with scholarship quarterbacks. That's SC's depth chart now. But as long as one of those two is healthy, Fink played well against the Utes. Guess he wasn't as good the rest of the time, but he played well against the Utes. So. Georgia head coach Kirby Smart said no one will be forced to return to Georgia's campus if they don't feel safe. He said, quote, there's obviously some apprehension and questions, but they have those same questions whether they're in Huntsville or in Macon or in Columbus. I know that our facility is one of the safest, and we certainly have the ability to care for that facility better than a lot of places. They can go back home. Close quote. SEC's got voluntary workouts coming up June 8th, which seems to be pretty much what we're hearing, you know, give or take a week. Well, you quote Kirby Smart, but you can fill in the blank on every single coach because nobody wants any other program to get an advantage over their own programs. So every coach in this country can say, ours places is one of the safest places you can be, blah, blah, blah. And we'll see if they're true. Hopefully it is true. Iowa AD Gary Barta said Thursday, I was planning to have unrestricted crowds at Kinnick Stadium. They averaged 65,557, which was uh, the 20th best attendance in uh, FBS last year. I was also modeling for reduced capacity crowds, depending on guidelines from the state, the CDC, and other agencies. If Iowa has reduced capacity crowds for football, Barta says season ticket holders, priority points holders, and students will be admitted first. I assume there's a whole ranking order based on how expensive your seats are and how much money you're donating to the athletic department. Uh, There's no need to assume that. (laughs) You know it. I guess the only surprise is students, but, uh, you know, they tend to provide the noise and the energy. So, uh, hey, let's get some students in there and provide some noise and energy. That would be a horrible look if students weren't allowed in and others were. DJ and PK. 
Hashtag NFL. The NFL would like to get coaches back into the building next week. And what I had heard was conservatively the end of the week that they had hoped to get, you know, head coaches back into their buildings. And then at that point, a conversation could take place about whether or not it was possible and feasible to squeeze in something with players before what would be the break. That's Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports talking about NFL coaches returning to team facilities. It's been Zoom meetings, but it won't be long now before they're back in the building in the flesh. Right on. Arizona Cardinals star, cornerback Patrick Peterson, weighing his decision to play this upcoming season. He's diabetic. He was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes during the 2014 season. Said Thursday if the proper protocols are followed, such as temperature checks and wearing masks and gloves, then he'll be comfortable playing when and if the NFL decides to play. He would be more at risk than the average player because of the diabetes. As for uh, those guys, and we read right now, baseball may not end up going. We'll get to that here in a minute. But uh, read stories. There are a lot of profiles out there of a lot of baseball players who were at risk for uh, one health reason or another. And for those, everybody's got to make the decision. But you know the clock's ticking on your career and on those paychecks. So you're going to, I think in most cases, try to find a way to play if you can. Easier, easier for us to say than for them to do, but still, that's what we would think, yes. Ravens head coach John Harbaugh says there are no plans to implement a quote-unquote conventional offense around NFL MVP Lamar Jackson. His quote, I wouldn't say we're going to scrap the run game, and I wouldn't say we're going to become a more conventional offense. That's the last thing we want to do. We didn't change the offense to scrap the idea that we want to cause people problems. We just want to get better at taking advantages of weaknesses. So that's all... Pretty much cut and paste what you would expect there. How much are they really going to run Lamar Jackson? He's the MVP, and you definitely want to get him hit as little as possible. But you want to run him as much as possible, and those two things will always be at odds. Well, you have to see what he is as far as his health, because as you know, he's a smaller Taysom Hill. (laughs) Good one. I see what you did there. Go back a couple weeks. It's good work. Well, actually, we had to go back earlier this week. You weren't here, but I did use that line. But it's just fresh to you. With it a little bit. Yeah. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. There's a lot of momentum to have more than 16 teams be there. And obviously, Zion Williamson's inclusion, the Pelicans' inclusion is part of that calculus. But I also think like that calculus is larger in the sense that I think that they just don't want to, A, go in and directly have playoffs. I think they want to play, like, I mean, as many games as they can still and have it be credible. Dan Wakey from the L.A. Times there. Are they going to take 16 teams back to Orlando for the NBA season? Are they going to take 20 or 24? doesn't seem like they're going to take 30. Uh, question of the morning, what do you want the NBA season to look like going forward? And the NBA's got several plans and is trying to narrow it down. Seems like 20 or 24 is the number it's going to end up being. I guess what everybody thinks, everybody can have their opinion and drop their own plan. Jumping straight into the playoffs, you'd assume you'd just see some bad basketball in the first round, at least, while they tried to get back into some kind of rhythm. Uh, yeah, we've been discussing this ad nauseum. But I'm just going to wait and see what they come up with before going, well, they should do this or that. And it's, I'm, I'm tired of them discussing what they're going to do. I know they still have to do it, but as Jim Olsen told us early in the week, 
It's coming a time here real soon. you got to put a stake in the ground, to use his phrase. We'll just wait and see whatever that stake looks like once it's in the ground. So the GMs were on a conference call with uh, Adam Silver yesterday. Uh, the Board of Governors is going to be on a conference call today, although there are already reports that they're not going to decide today. This will be more discussion, but no stake in the ground. An informal poll found the GMs favor to play in tournament over the group stage format by a significant margin. 75% of the teams voted in favor of play in tournament. 25% of the teams voted in favor of the group stage. Half of the league's GMs wanted to go straight to the playoffs and cancel the regular season. And just over half of the league voted to receive the playoffs 1-16 to without factoring in conference affiliation. Zero commitment to any one plan, a GM told Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer. So they'll vote, they'll meet today, but they won't vote today, so eventually we'll find out. But apparently not later today. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. The critical time is not today. The critical time is next week. Because next week is when uh, MLB and the union would really have to have an agreement in place that, will, that allows them to uh, get the season going by July, which is important because that would hopefully allow there to be enough games where the players make closer to the money that they were expecting to make and MLB is able to get the postseason in in time uh, to hopefully avoid a second spike in cases in the fall. That's John Morosi, Fox Sports, on the importance of the next week for Major League Baseball. Scott Boris weighing in, telling his clients to refuse Major League Baseball's attempt to cut salaries during negotiations with the Players Union. Uh, he sent out an email. Associated Press got a hold of it. Uh, Boris wrote that the players shouldn't, should not alter terms of their March 26 agreement saying, remember, games can't be played without you. Players should not agree to further pay cuts to bail out the owners. Let the owners take some of their record revenues and profits from the past several years and pay you the prorated salaries you agreed to accept. Or let them borrow against the asset values they created from the use of those profits that players generated. Enough is enough, he says. 50% pay cuts good enough. You don't need to take 75 or 80. So right now, everybody's posturing. According to John Rossi there, it'll be a week before push comes to shove and they got to find the middle ground they're going to need if they're going to play. So another week of posturing. That's exciting because everybody really wants to see the posturing. Can you see posturing? Yes, I think you can. Okay. Well, when you see it, you let me know. Well, I think when we saw the owners uh, cutting players, uh, sending the message with some minor leaguers, in all it'll be about a thousand when it's said and done, which isn't that probably about how many minor leaguers get pushed out every year maybe a few more well that was going to happen either way wasn't it yeah happening now to save the 400 bucks a week over the next couple of months when they weren't going to be playing and then delay the draft minimize the draft cut the draft down to five rounds delay when you sign international guys those would be the thousand players coming into the pipeline well limit the players coming into the pipeline because you're not going to play right away and then you multiply it times 400 bucks a week times however many players, and you can figure out how much money they're saving every week. David Price is going to be paying the Dodger minor leaguers. Stepping in and writing checks. Yeah. He's going to look like a hero. Yes, putting he is. his own money out there. Yep. Today's an interesting day in MLB. Three years ago today, Bryce Harper charged the mound against Hunter Strickland. And Hunter Strickland, who was upset like two years earlier when Price 
or Bryce hit a home run and sort of stood there a little bit. And he charged the mound, chucked the helmet, but he purposely threw it to the right of him. I just happened to be watching that day. It was Labor Day, Memorial Day, and I happened to be watching it live. I saw Harper's eyes get really big as he charged the mound. And then also, too, and here's your chance to say what we all know you're going to say. 31 years ago today, Mike Schmidt retired. Crying in the locker room in San Diego. The game always breaks your heart, PK. It's just a question of whether you're 12, 16, 18. In his case, he played pretty late into his 30s, didn't he? I'm not sure how old he was. I'd have to double-check that. Uh, I would guess if you're hitting, accumulating the number of home runs, well over 500 that he had, you had to have been playing at a, a decent amount of uh, time there. Well, you gave me something to do in the next break, so thank you for that. I'll be doing the math on that. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener. Shamrock Plumbing, 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, will be here at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. Dr. David Petron to talk about the phased reopening of Utah athletic facilities. And at 9.30, Ben Golliver. National NBA writer for the Washington Post. That's all ahead with DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Zone honors the greatest coach in Utah jazz history and member of the Hall of Fame, Jerry Sloan. We, along with jazz fans everywhere, mourn the loss of the coach we all grew up with. The man who went into battle with John and Carl. My coach. Who would argue with officials and would call for the pick and roll. Thank you, Coach Sloan, for sharing your love of the game and giving us all so many great memories. Celebrating the life of Utah jazz legend, Jerry Sloan. Hot Takes of Toast is brought to you by Master Electrical Services. Master Electrical, always open during this challenging time. Call Master Electrical at 801-543-2222 for upfront pricing and your satisfaction is guaranteed. Master Electrical will light up your day. Well, PK, there were uh, multiple uh, topics. I was dying listening to you while I was out. <laughs> I was dying. I don't All think the times I was that. laughing. No, you're right. I shouldn't. <laughs> I was waiting for a COVID test. My daughter ran a fever for a couple days, and it took forever for the test to come back. Forever in my world being, you know, three extra days. Sorry, two and a half extra days. It was even longer without you. <laughs> I don't think so. You have plenty of good stuff going on. <laughs> the first day when Jake said the current Jazz and the current Lakers would beat the 80s Lakers, I thought, oh my gosh, that is some, that's some red meat for the big dog PK right there. But you went easy on the lad. It was too preposterous. <laughs> okay, it's too over the top. It was. In my mind, it was. I, don't, I mean, there's no even acknowledgement in one single form of actuality that that could happen i mean it didn't even dawn on me and it never would dawn on me you're taking a team that was an all-timer who was it uh clyde i don't know if you saw this uh, clyde drexler uh was talking about uh, who he thought was the best player now he got really dissed he was one of the guys who got dissed by mj in the last dance right because he got well, they played him in the finals and drexler was a really good player during his time and so if you were even halfway good i mean to an extent uh, Jordan viewed Brian Russell 
as a threat. And obviously those two, Russell carved out a great career for himself as a second-round pick, but he's not close to an all-timer, and Jordan took offense at that. So you can imagine what it's going to be at the level of Clyde Drexler, who was a really good player and a Hall of Fame player, and just about any team would have loved to have Drexler on their team. Plus, as far as I know, he had no scandals. He was not outspoken. He sort of kept to himself. There was a lot of dignity with Clyde Drexler, right? So you didn't have him popping off like Gary Payton did. You know, I told who was the coach, George Carl of the Sonics, put me on him, I'll shut him down. And then they gave that iPad to Jordan, and Jordan starts busting up. Well, Drexler never did anything along those lines, right? Because he never really said anything that would elicit any form of emotion. But... This was, I think, the way I looked at it when I'm about to get to, his way of getting back at Jordan because they asked Drexler about who he thought was the greatest player of all time. And, of course, this was his chance. He did not say Jordan, and he did not say LeBron. He said a guy who I think is just getting underrated in the conversation of greatest of all time, and that's Abdul-Jabbar. Because I really think he should be in the conversation, man. Because whatever Jordan did in his career, which was phenomenal, Kareem did too. He can he can match him and actually supersede him in some categories. You want titles? I got titles. You want scoring? I got scoring. You know? And so Drexler was uh, putting Abdul-Jabbar's name there. And I don't really have any problem with Abdul-Jabbar being in the discussion. I still insist that he doesn't get the due. As great as he was, he doesn't get the due for greatest player of all time. So you're talking about Abdul-Jabbar and Magic and Worthy and Cooper and Michael Thompson, blah, 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 on and on, beating a team that can't get out of the second round? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and Jake's whole point about the bigger, stronger, faster. You know, the the league has gotten bigger, stronger, and faster. I would say the middle and even the bottom of the league has. But most of that is in a reaction to the teams of that era being unable to compete with the Lakers. The Lakers had a ton of size and remained very athletic, you know, running fast breaks and showtime and all that. And they routinely have a roster out there that would have one guy under 6'8". You know, they they were a very big team. And the only team that could hang with them, the Celtics, who, you know, played them three times in the finals and beat them once. So right in the heart of all of that, well, the Celtics were a pretty big team. And so the whole rest of the league, as they brought in more foreign players, had to get bigger. But, man, that, that team had four number one picks on it. They brought a number one pick off the bench who'd been a 20-10 and 10 guy in the league. That team was just loaded. Who has a 20-10 and 10 guy coming off the bench? Well, the 80s Lakers do. And it's a little yeah. apples and oranges, you know. There's there's more teams now, and so you get more spread out. And some of the mistakes the league made in dealing with the Lakers, you know, GMs have learned from and try not to repeat those. Um, they seem to happen occasionally anyway. <laughs> Whoops, shouldn't have traded him that guy. But, man, in that era, the Lakers were on the right end of some very bad trades, and they really got ahead of the game thanks to it. Anyway, the other thing I found really interesting was the Mount Rushmore of coaches because – uh, you know, it's hard to identify the four. There's some real apples and oranges, you know, college coaches versus pros, different sports, sports that, you know, aren't as popular, coaches who coached a long time ago. Um, Jerry Sloan, obviously, 
should be up there. Lavelle Edwards obviously should be up there. Then the debate after that, and I think you can debate it, but I, I think you got to end up with Jack Gardner up there. I just don't see how you can put him fifth. He might be your third, and he might be your fourth, but he's got to be top four. I mean, it, a lot of things that the reasons that Lavelle is up there are the reasons Jack Gardner should be up there on Mount Rushmore too. You know, built a program. Took it to a level, won so much that he took it to a level of popularity it had never been before. You know, I don't, I don't know what the old Utah Fieldhouse seated, four or 5,000, I think. Um, built the Huntsman Center because Gardner's teams were so good for so long. Seven conference titles, six NCAA tournaments, two Final Fours. Lost to the championship team five times, I think, in those six uh, trips. Five, five times. They were eliminated by the champion in the final fours. They ran into the USF teams, and I think they got beat by one other title team too. Maybe Cal. And so, and it sustained sustained success for almost two decades Ooh, there. Double sustained. I couldn't say it right the first time. Oh, the, okay. The uh, can <laughs> he was at Kansas State before that went to two final fours, so four in his career. And he's in the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts. And, you know, if you don't build the Huntsman Center, well, then you don't have the magic bird game here. Uh, the coaching tree he had, Jerry Pym was one of his assistants, and so he became the head coach eventually. Oh, to, that's why he's pumping up went Gardner. To five, I was wondering what the connection was. Now I figured five it out. Five sweet 16s. <laughs> I just don't think you, the two Final Fours ought to be enough. There was even more. But getting the Huntsman Center built. Yeah, well, that was part of his timing, though. I mean, could have been Joe Blow from Idaho then. They, they were gonna they were gonna build an on campus arena the size everybody does. I just don't see two other coaches who could go in front of him. I put Stan Watts. Who could be the fourth one who goes up there with him? Yeah, winning the no. NIT when he did. I put Whittingham and Stan Watts. Wow, and leave a guy out who went to two Final Fours. Yeah, I think the NIT was. Just as big, if it not was. bigger. Yeah, winning the and NIT he, in the fifties was a very big deal. That was viewed as the bigger tournament at that point. And, and he pointed he out, won it. Yeah, and it was pointed out that that season that they won the NIT, they actually beat Utah, who went to the Final Four. Yeah. both times they matched up that year. Right. So he won it, and he built the Marriott Center, which is bigger than the Huntsman Center. So there are the four, and no Kyle. No, I put Kyle on there. But, I mean, it's, you can put whoever you want on there. I don't really care. But uh, I, put, I put Kyle because I think what he's done, transitioning into a much, difficult, much more difficult conference, and he's going to end up the winningest all-time football coach at the at University of Utah. Uh, you look at some of uh, Ike Armstrong's statistics, and he won, like, 13 titles, I think, something like that, and, like, five or six undefeated seasons. Mm-hmm. 1930, he had a football team that gave up two points a game. And I don't know what they were scoring relative to everybody else. And, you know, it was scoring down. I'm, I'm not going to go in and look up a bunch of 1930 records. That's what you're there for. Uh, so I thought he deserved consideration. But I think what Kyle's going to end up, and he took – see, Kyle helped to a good extent basically do what Lavelle did. He took this rivalry and dominated it. And Urban wasn't here long enough. And Ronnie Mack made it a rivalry, but he didn't dominate. And Urban didn't, you know, he's 2-0 and zero 
Uh, if he would have been here longer, he probably would have been there, but he wasn't. So his short tenure eliminates him. And this fierce, fierce rivalry, which is one of the best in the country, Kyle's dominated. So he's done what Lavelle did. So my, in my line of thinking, if I have to, ha- if I have Lavelle Edwards, which of course I have, then I got to have Kyle Whittingham because Kyle is doing locally what Lavelle did, and he's doing it in a much more difficult conference than what Lavelle Edwards ever had to play. More conference titles. You can dismiss not having more conference titles because of the Pac-12 and the high-end talent at the top of the Pac-12. But what about only having the, the one title in the six years in the Mountain West? Because the Lavelle fans will say, you know, he was winning basically two out of three. Yeah, the Mountain West at that time was the best it's ever been. It was an outstanding conference with TCU and Utah and BYU. That they... Because Bronco did a phenomenal job in restoring that program very, very quickly. One of the greatest coaching jobs that this state will ever see to when he took over the program and 18 months later where he brought it. Absolutely sensational. Bronco Mendenhall is in the version of what I was saying about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, not getting near the respect that he should get for what he did. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I got the rivalry. Now that it's over. I got the rivalry wins. I got the double-digit win seasons. I got the conference titles. Just like Kareem, I got the titles. I got the MVPs. I got the scoring. Right. And he took over a program that was literally the darkest it had been in 40 years. Because I was there. I was there every day. It was an absolute amazing, amazing job. Bronco Mendenhall. He should be a candidate for what he did. As far as uh, being a list of a, a nominee, because it was sensational of what he did. So that conference was very difficult to win during that stretch because it was pretty doggone good. It's a shame. And Boise was going to come in. Mountain West would have been a real top-notch conference. And it might have been, who knows, could have been on par with the Pac-12. It was already pretty good in basketball. Especially when they built the arena for San Diego State and Steve Fisher, man, and that made a huge, huge difference. So basketball was really good at that time. So the conference crumbled not because of a inadequacy. We know why it happened. The other guys left. They got the more money offer. Financially, it was a no-brainer for TCU to do what it did and obviously for Utah to do what it did. And then BYU didn't want to be left behind either, so they did what they did. But that was very difficult. So I get your point, you know, only one conference title then, but it was much harder to win then because it at that right during that little phase, it was a pretty doggone good conference. You look at that Utah team that was the one year, and TCU came in and just drilled them on T- that Saturday afternoon. Yeah, TCU ended up with the, uh, the BCS busting team that yeah. year. I don't remember which one it was. They went to a Fiesta and a Rose. They had a couple. It was of a them. great TCU team yeah. that year. I think I think Kyle says it's the best team he had played during his time, and I can see why, because they were they had it going on big time.
All right, well, the Mount Rushmore, you can put your own personal four up there. Who, who belongs? Who, will, who should be there? That, that and the Lakers' 80s were the two topics I heard this week that just uh, had exploded. Give me a microphone. Anybody who's got a microphone lying around. <laughs> I'm screaming at the walls here. Yeah, I, I, I think when it's finally said and done, and hopefully it's not for years to come, with me anyway, you can decide yourself what you want to do. Uh, but for me, I think that uh, I wouldn't be listening. It would be too torturous. Because we're used to, at least I am, I'm used to popping off every morning. I got something to say, I say it. And be damned what uh, other people think. You know, you know, if you like it, great. If you don't like it, I don't care. Doesn't matter to me either way. But I'm going to say what I want. And so to listen to it and not being able to speak to it would be difficult. So I can imagine what that must have been if you were listening and we're talking about stuff. Because we're still trying to, without the everyday sports, we're still trying to keep rolling. And I have to say, when this thing first hit, which we're going over on three months now. uh, 74 days. Oh, my gosh. Well, really, from day to day, it hasn't been an oh, my gosh. It's been fine. I haven't felt like, wow, we're really stretching you know, some segments are better than others. Some shows are better than others. That's always going to be the case. If you have, well, when we get to the fall and all these sports are playing and all of a sudden we've got an overload, we're still going to have some segments are going to be better than others and some shows are going to be better than others, even though we may, we literally can have a World Series of Masters and college football, NFL playoffs all at the same time. You know, I have to see how that plays out. And, and, and I hope it does for that matter. And, and, and who knows, maybe have an NBA start at, at that time late October, early November. Who's to say, right? We'll still have some shows are better than others. But I have to say overall that I haven't really felt like, oh, man, we've been stretching, reaching the bottom of the barrel. It has been all systems go. You wouldn't know that we wouldn't have sports, at least to me anyway, with our shows because we're coming up with stuff. We're still trying to have fun with it and and roll with it and still provide some people with, uh, you know, on their way into work or if they're at home, in your case, you were home. Try to fight them with some thought-provoking stuff. So I haven't really noticed that this has been that bad for us in what we do. Now, sure, we would want the games, no question about it. But it's not like we've been searching and just reaching into depths to come up with stuff. There's plenty of things to do. Now, I mean, I should say right now, I, I, I'm going to throw out Field of Dreams as best sports movie of all time. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, in a lot of regards, what we've gone through so far has not been that different from when the Jazz had uh, lottery basketball teams, you know, and they had a couple stretches right. of those. When we first started doing the show, uh, there was three lottery teams in a row from the end of Stockton and Malone before Boozer, Williams, that group really got it rolling. And then there were several more at the end of the Boozer Williams group uh, before, you know, Quinn got it going with the uh, – they went to the playoffs and, and had their seven-game series and, and beat the Clippers and went on to the second round. So it's not like we haven't had several summers where the Jazz and some of those other – some of those lottery teams were better and more competitive than others. Oh, definitely. There were a couple of them. Like, that thing was over before the All-Star break, okay? Literally nobody needed to turn on the radio to figure out where this was going. I think we all got it figured out. We went to a game in December, January, and we saw where it was going. Yeah, that's why Jerry Sloan's greatest coaching job, I think, was that first year after the statues left when he went 42-40 and 40 and was right yep. into the playoff race literally right to the end. I mean, that's when you know 
you're really good. And Bronco had that right away. And I think we've seen Kyle have that because, you know, he's Mr. Tough Guy and he's not going to acknowledge any weakness. And so they were bluffing their way in the, the early couple of seasons where when they went 5-7 and seven in the Pac-12 because I had a coach later on go through the lineups with me and list, here's the guys we were starting then, here's the guys that we're playing now, and he named names. And obviously I'm not going to do it to embarrass anybody because those guys, and some of those guys were really good and could have certainly played in the Pac-12. It's not like they didn't have any Pac-12 caliber players on the roster, obviously, because they were sending guys to the NFL. But a lot of those guys were recruited as Mountain West kids and others being recruited as Pac-12 guys. So what Kyle did is he rebuilt the program at a higher level because the competition had taken an increase, and he did it pretty quick. I mean, you look at uh, some of these programs that now have been down for almost the entire time, or they had a moment in the sun, and then they went right back down. (laughs) And really, it's every other team in the division. Uh, you know, with the exception UCLA, maybe yeah, they had a couple seasons ago. They had one down season. Uh, maybe they didn't have to the level that they are accustomed to or would want. But you know, going nine and three, that might be down tradition-wise against SC with SC. But it's not really down. And it's still a competitive ball club, obviously. And so the other teams, they still haven't been able, except for one or two seasons. Well, Kyle's gotten better and shown consistency, and he's going to end up as the winningest coach. I mean, he's planning to coach for another two years, and I think he's at least another two years, I would think. And he's only, what, 10 wins behind Armstrong? I think it's like 141 to 131. So it stands to reason that, depending on what type of season we have this year, he's going to get that record or at least tie that record. I would think he would get it. Maybe he can get it this year, probably not, but the following season. And there's something to be said for that. And he had the undefeated season and beating Alabama. Uh, And so I don't, no one, no one argues Jerry Sloan and Lavelle Edwards. I wouldn't think. I I just can't see of anybody saying, no, those two don't belong there. Of course they do. And then the other two, in my mind, I think Kyle does belong there. And maybe that's more recency bias than I like the dude. I mean, I've. As I've said, anybody who comes on the air and says I have no bias is full of crap. Of course I do. DJ and PK, David Locke is coming up. Top of the hour. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. With a little extra time on your hands, it's time to talk about what we're doing to kill time. What did you watch last night? With DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Too much time on my hands. Too much time on my hands. 
TJPK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Flipping around looking for some sports to watch last night, PK, and ESPN2 for a long period of time was apparently televising the Cornhole Championships because they saw it late in the afternoon and then we lost power for several hours. And then after the power came back on at night, uh, flipped it on and the Cornhole Championships were on again. We didn't have power, so I, I didn't watch much last night, but I just couldn't believe there was that much of the Cornhole Championships. <laughs> I mean, ESPN's got to have some old games they can run lying around. It was live, though, wasn't it's it? Got, was, I, I wasn't paying enough attention to even know that. I, I was flipping through, and I'm like, I, Cornhole Championships, I can't watch this. And I kept going. Were they regional? Were they national? I, what level? I, I'm already, I don't know. <laughs> I assume national, <laughs> but I, I just don't know. I just I saw that, and I thought, come on, ESPN, you got an old college football game lying around. You got an old NFL game lying around. You could throw something up there. Give me an NBA playoff. Anything. A 30 for 30. Anything. Anything. Literally. Okay. What I'll makes you turn the channel that. faster, UFC or Cornhole Champions? NASCAR or cornhole, you know, uh, soccer or cornhole championships. The stuff that gets ridiculed. What would make you turn the channel faster? <laughs> uh, for Poker. me, it's a channel two, channel two news. Oh, man, you're just trying to hurt me now. <laughs> it's good to have me back, isn't it? What did you watch? I actually watched something that really made me think, and it's something I've seen a thousand times over, and I think that when I get to the point, you will totally agree with me. And I think most of our listeners will, too. So I'm flicking around just like you are, and I come across the Baseball Network, and they got something going on. They're doing a thing on the game one. Was it 1988? Gibson hits the home run, right? Mm-hmm. And they splice it in. Eckersley has always been a good sport about it. He'll talk about it. And they got Larusa, They got Dave Stewart. Uh, and they got Vince Scully. Of course, they got Gibson. And they show, uh, you know, Conseco hits a grand slam. They got him there. And it was like a little bit of a last dance because they went uh, to Conseco and they delved into uh, steroid stuff back in 88. He's a little bit before the time of the steroids. But, you know, he had, he had a ball over center field. And Steve Sachs was thinking, oh, my gosh, man, he just unbelievable the power that that guy had plus he was a uh, I think he did the 40-40 that year and that was a big deal and Mickey Mantle had the great line he said well if I would have known it was would have been that big of a deal I would have gotten some myself <laughs> you know he said that but anyway they get to the end there with Gibson and the home run and we know Gibson at that time not had one bad leg but had two bad legs and couldn't put any pressure or weight is probably the better way to say it, on either leg. You remember that, right? Yep. That's understood. Well, he goes, and they go through it, and they count. He fouls off some pitches, and he's talking about how he's got his hands low, and he's just fouling off, hoping Eckersley makes a mistake. And it got to be 3-2, the count. And there was a scout named Mel Didier, I think it was, and they show it. They show the scouting report. They put the, the literal type page on the screen. And in there, they have it uh, highlighted in like green where it says, if he goes to a 3-2 count, Eckersley will, call, will throw that backdoor slider. 
and Gibson is saying, Mel told me we read the scouting report. Scouting report. It came to my mind. Three two pitch backdoor slider. I know what's coming. Here's a man who basically practically had two broken legs. <laughs> Couldn't put any weight on it. He knew the pitch that was coming. He was ready for it. And what did he do? He hits it over the fence in right field. They win the game. They go on and will win the series. Last time the Dodgers have won the series back in 88. So my point is, there was a lot of discussion this past year about the Houston Astros knowing what was coming. And if you don't think that is a huge, huge advantage you are ridiculous you're a fool here is a man who would could not even move basically put no weight on one foot or one leg or the other and was able to hit a home run because he knew what pitch was coming and you look at an Altuve you look at a Bregman these guys are in the prime of their lives they are specimens Altuve's a little dude and Bregman is too for that matter I think he's only like five nine five ten but these guys knew what was coming and, of course, they were able to do what they did. Who was it? Uh, Stanton said he'd hit 70 home runs if he knew what was coming. Yes, he would. And Mike Trout just kind of laughed and said, man, I'd like to go through a series or a season knowing what was coming. Of course they would. Gibson knew what was coming. And look what he did with it when he was injured. And it dawned on me, yes. And I knew, I knew it at the time, but it reinforced it. If you know what's coming... It makes a night and day difference, doesn't it? Absolutely. And living in Southern California at that time, the story got out pretty quickly about he knew what was coming. Right. The scouting report. That is uh, that is not new news. Seen it, and I did not know the name of the scout. Yeah. No, he brought uh, Gibson named them by name yeah. multiple times, and they showed the the, the literal report. Yeah. They put it up on the screen, and it was highlighted. He said, that's what I thought. They told me that's what it was going to be. So that's the pitch I was looking for. And I was ready for it. I knew it was coming. So you're basically, at that point, putting it on a tee for somebody. And and Gibson, at that point, man, he had a, bo- a body of like an 80-year-old. <laughs> he, looked, he looked so brittle. I remember reading the stories at the time and that there were guys in the dugout were thinking, oh, Gibby, we were told... Please remember. But what you know, what can you do? You're in the dugout in the moment. You can't yell, hey, you know what he's going to throw. Oh, you, you, you can't you do You bang it. a trash can. <laughs> you bang a trash can. The guys in the dugout were just sitting there. Come on, Gibby. You got to remember. You got to remember. You know what's coming on three and two. So he did. Yeah. And then the rest is history. So can you imagine these guys who are fully healthy? There's a reason why Altuve don't rip off my shirt. Come on. How stupid are we, man? You'd be playing us for absolute fools if we didn't think so. And that's why there's these suspensions. And the players got off scot-free. It'll be interesting to see what Scott Boris has to say about that. Nothing. With the players getting off with zero penalty whatsoever and receiving enormous raises because of it and getting these contracts. Now, they're all great players. That's not the point. The point is that they were aided to a large degree pretty much in the way that steroids was aiding them. I see a direct parallel. You had really good players that were using them, and they became phenomenal players. And some of them were already phenomenal players, and they even stepped it up even more because they had that. And these guys, knowing what was coming, yeah, I would love a season in which, okay, every batter knew what the pitch was. I mean, you want to see offensive numbers? We'd be having basketball scores practically. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locks coming up next. Stay with us.